within my being It feels so strange Like I'm skiing With the ground so far below me A natural high Nothing now can hold me I can fly Once I was nothing but a failure Now I know just who I am Welcome to another uh, Amazing Spider webcast, the show where we go through, issue by issue, the Amazing Spider-Man. And uh, I'm Pete. And today, we're up to issue seven, which is the Vulture's Return. So soon. What we were all hoping would happen is about to happen. Uh, Before we get started, oh, one thing. That was from uh, Spider-Man. Rock Reflections of a Superhero, which has various uh, Spider-Man-related songs. This was an album, a record album that was released. And I'm not just saying that because I'm like an old man. I mean, I am, but uh, that was a record album that was released back in the day with uh, some, you know, meatloafy songs about Spider-Man. I did, before we get right into uh, issue number seven in The Vulture's Return, want to talk about... Um, another thing, which is that um, there's this series that came out called Untold Tales of Spider-Man, which was uh, mostly by Kurt Busiek, and it's a great series. You can buy it in omnibus form at this time, and the omnibus isn't super expensive. And the reason I wanted to bring it up right now, what they did is they wrote this series where, um, you know, so Untold Tales of Spider-Man number one, for example, takes place right after Amazing Spider-Man number six. And actually, Untold Tales of Spider-Man number two takes place after the first one, and then comes Amazing Spider-Man number seven. So here's what they did. They kind of went back in time for the series, and they peppered other stories between the existing Amazing Spider-Man stories, which was a really cool idea, right? Because then you're like, okay, I can just put these in the existing continuity. I only have to know six or seven issues of like continuity in order to do that. And then they told these really good, I think, classic-feeling Spider-Man stories that fit within the regular stories. And they, they kind of made this effort to make the art look old-timey. You know, you've got your Reed Richards smoking a pipe and shit like that in there. So as we're going on, I just did, I did want to recommend some other, you know, Spider-Man things and that kind of stuff. I'm hoping, too, that we'll have some, uh, maybe some special episodes. A very special episode. Um... Spider-Man comics will have their own very special episodes, but what I mean is we'll have some episodes where we talk about maybe some other Spider-Man stuff. So it's not just the old stuff, but you know, if you don't like those, um, I have two pieces of advice. Um, Number one, fuck you, you know, and number two, just skip them. That's, it's pretty easy to do. Just skip them. And we haven't even done it yet. I'm getting, I'm getting mad at everyone who... This is kind of a thing, a feature of mine, where I get mad at an audience for doing a thing that they haven't even done yet. Um, 
because they I'm imagining them being mad at me for doing a thing that I also haven't done yet. So this is kind of how things work for me. And uh, I hope you love it. So let's do this. The Amazing Spider-Man number seven, The Vulture's Return. So as you may remember, uh, The Vulture is this old fucking man who made a uh, bird suit. A green bird suit complete with like a, uh, you know how the vultures have that thing around? It looks like a wreath around their neck or whatever. Or at least in cartoons and shit they do. I don't really know. I've never seen a vulture in real life. For, For how many times I've seen a vulture in media in tv shows and stuff because basically they circle overhead and then they're watching people die and you're like oh shit this is the sign that you know they're gonna die you know a cowboy or whatever is not gonna make it never seen one in real life though so here we go uh the vulture so we you know we join the vulture where he already is uh you know it gives us a little reminder here of like, oh yeah, don't forget, the Vulture used this kind of weird magnet thing to fly. Spider-Man made a little, uh, I don't know, magnet grenade thing that disabled him. And now we join the Vulture in prison, where he's working in the machine shop. And the, uh, the guards are talking, you know, the Vulture is the best behaved prisoner in the place. That's why the warden made him a trustee and let him use the machine shop. Which you're just like... We joke around a lot in the comics world about, um, you know, Jesus Christ, how many fucking times is the Joker going to escape from Arkham before they figure out how to make a prison that's not, even if it's not inescapable, maybe not super escapable. I mean, um, it's almost like, you know, they need to hire Stallone from the movie The Escape Plan. Did you guys see that shit? Where Stallone and uh, Schwarzenegger in prison together. I mean, it was pretty terrible, but I liked, here's, there were lots of things I liked about it. It had a very 90s action movie premise, which was like, Stallone is a uh, professional prison breaker out of her because he used to be an attorney. And he like, if I'm remembering this right, he got somebody off, you know, because he was like some hotshot attorney. Um, He got them off charges, not like gave him a hand job. And then he this person then killed his family or something like that. And so then he was like, uh, or they, no, 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 no. He prosecuted somebody. They went to jail, but then they escaped from the jail and killed his family. Cause you know, he was this tenacious prosecutor. I think that's what happened. And so then he was like, I'm going to make sure jails are escape proof. And he literally wrote the book on making an escape proof jail. Which is funny because I'm like, okay, well, that's probably read by like five people. How many people are building a jail? I feel like jails are the same jails that we've had since like medieval times. They're just the dungeons. They're just, you know, now they have toilets and stuff. So anyway, they uh, make the vulture a trustee in the machine shop, which is to me like, oh yeah, well, we made Dahmer the head of the cafeteria and then got real fucking surprised when shit got crazy in there so of course he makes you know a rudimentary flying machine and he just kind of like he just kind of flits over the wall just like it looks like he's very slowly sort of just gliding away and they're like ah fuck almost like you know the uh the guards probably saw him slowly gliding away and we're just like hmm we're gonna have to uh pretend we're gonna have to pretend we didn't see that because 
now now that I'm confronted with the fact that we just left the vulture in the machine shop and he's like a mechanical genius who made a flying machine, um, now that I'm watching him glide away, I'm realizing we may have made a mistake and uh, we're going to need to cover this up. So then we cut to Midtown High because we have the standard um, everyone being a dick to Peter Parker. You know, and Flash Thompson's throwing him a medicine ball. This is like a... This is a weird old-timey thing that I feel like they used to do in school gym class was like, oh, yeah, um, let's just get this big heavy thing and throw it around. And that's going to basically be... Which, to me, is crazy, because it's like, why even invent the medicine ball? Just make your school next to where there's big rocks. And just fucking be like, all right, well, here's a bunch of rocks. Move that pile of rocks from this area to that area. And that's gym class. (laughs) But, uh, you know, they're screwing around, and then uh, Peter Parker hears the vulture escaped on the radio. So, you know, they're playing with the medicine ball or whatever, and then Peter Parker has to make an excuse to get out. So he's like, ugh, it's not too much for me, Flash. I just have a a headache, that's all. And Flash says, strange how you always get those headaches whenever something exciting is going on. Which, this sounds exactly like sitcom dialogue when... um, you know, the dude wants to have sex and the wife is like, no. Oh, you always get these headaches when something exciting is going on. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, were Peter Parker and Flash having sex? I don't think so, but I don't know. And of course, Peter Parker's at home, you know, this double identity jazz is for the birds. I can't take much more ribbing as Peter Parker. Sooner or later, someone's going to lose a mouthful of teeth, which like, I keep waiting for this to happen to Flash Thompson because... At this point, it's definitely deserved. If Spider-Man has a superpower, he must also have the proportionate um, patience for assholes of a spider, which must be very high. I didn't really realize that um, spiders had that ability, but now I know. Now I know better, and this is the truth. So, you know, he gears up. And this is like, this is a thing they did in the comics too, was they kind of would show him like, oh, here's my web shooter. I'm getting my camera all ready. Look at that. Isn't that cool? I've been thinking about, so I'm not a big tattoo guy. I have one tattoo. And I was like, it would be cool to have a Spider-Man tattoo, but I don't know what kind to get really. But then I was thinking, man, it would be fucking great to get a web shooter tattoo. Although I don't think hand tattoos really work. Am I wrong? Can someone tell me if I'm wrong? By the way, we have a, uh, a thing. If you're familiar with Marvel Comics, they had a thing called a no prize, which was just an envelope um, with nothing in it. And it was like, congratulations, you've won a no prize. Well, we have a Helpful Snowman no prize. Helpful Snowman being the sort of network that we're on. Um, so if and if I make an error, feel free to point it out to me. And uh, I'll send you a no prize and just be aware that I will probably just mock you for, you know, correcting me. And uh, that's kind of how the exchange works. So basically, it turns out, you know, so the vulture is just flying around robbing people at gunpoint, it turns out. I thought, (laughs) you know, he fixed his, his flying shit. And he basically has just got a gun and he's like flies into someone's office, has a gun and is like, hey, give me all your shit. Which I thought I think is kind of amazing because it seems like he really he's worked out something that we still today have not worked out, you know, fifty whatever years later, which is like flying just having a flight suit. 
I mean, it's pretty fucking amazing, right? Like, if we can all just fly around, it's like having a jetpack, but better. And uh, yet, he he's given very shockingly little thought to, oh, well, maybe I should have some kind of more threatening weapon or some kind of thing that uh, convinces them to give me money other than just pointing a gun and being like, hey, give me a gun or give me your shit. So Spider-Man finds him. He tries to, uh, you know, he's like, I'll just use the same device. But, you know, of course, the vulture is keen to that. And he's created some kind of, you know, different suit. So it won't work this time. So then, you know, he pretends he's falling to the ground. Then he swoops up and punches Spider-Man right in the face a couple times and kicks him in midair in the face. And then Spider-Man is falling to his doom. Now, this is a very strange thing that happens because, you know, Spider-Man shoots a web to, like, slow himself down and swing away. And it actually shows the web kind of just going straight up in the air because he misses the building, right? It goes straight up in the air and doesn't hit anything. And he just falls to a roof and everyone thinks he's dead. Yeah, and just breaks his arm. Spoiler alert, Spider-Man doesn't die in issue number seven of Amazing Spider-Man. Um, but what I thought was so funny about that is like, it always seems when he's web swinging in the comics that he's just kind of shooting things into the air. Like it never really seemed like to me, he was shooting the side of a building all the time and stuff like that. It seems like they've gotten a little better about making it look like he's actually doing it, which I think is probably because of the movies, right? Because they're like, well, we can't just have him shoot it into midair and swing around. You got to have him go kind of side to side. But anyway, shoots it into midair, falls down, boom, that's it. Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, it's just not, he doesn't have, I almost feel like in the comics, it seems like this Marvel universe is just like ours, except for there are a bunch of Zeppelins around that are just hovering right above the middle of busy thoroughfares. So Spider-Man can web from Zeppelin to Zeppelin, right? So he busts his arm and he has to walk home. And is there anything sadder than a walking Spider-Man? Like that's, it's like the most pathetic looking thing. I was thinking about like, you know, cause he's just like walking down an alley, holding his arm like, ah, fuck, you know, this really hurts. <laughs> and he's kind of sad and dejected and shit. I was thinking about how like at a lot of comic cons and stuff, when you see these people in costume, it's not always that they're, you know, out of shape and people don't really look super heroic. I think that what's weird about it is like you're seeing them just sitting on the floor with their legs splayed out eating a hamburger or like they're just standing in line to meet John Romita Jr. You know what I mean? And you're like, man, fucking Captain America, you never really see him on screen unless he's having like a serious conversation or kicking ass. He's always running to something. He's always doing something. So he's always in motion. He's always being super heroic. He's not really, he, you don't see him just like, uh, I don't know, at a Comic-Con with a badge on, whatever. So you get some some good, pathetic <laughs> walking Spider-Man. You also, of course, he has to go back to school with his busted arm. And, you know, it's got that old-time busted arm thing where it's like, well, I just took an old sheet and made a sling for myself. And uh, Flash Thompson is like, you know, oh, how big, brave Peter hurt his poor little arm? Did you try and turn too many heavy pages at one time, bookworm? Or did you drop a nasty little test tube on it in the lab? Look at him blush. And, uh, you know, 
he's Peter Parker makes a vague mental threat about splattering. Let's see, splatter that clown all over the landscape, which like I feel like I hope it's coming because honestly, it's deserved. I don't know how long they have to build up the fact that like Peter Parker could just like flatten him one time or just minorly humiliate him. Like, you know, he webbed J. Jonah Jameson to his ceiling and to his chair and shit. I think you could at this point justify like, I don't know, pantsing him or something or like tearing his face off or whatever. Um, so then we cut back to the vulture stylo, which again, he, he lives in a silo that looks like it's on a farm. There's a well, and you can see Manhattan in the distance, and he's on Staten Island. Hey, do! And I guess he's stealing all this money to uh, support his Staten Island silo lifestyle. He doesn't even look like he has a chair. He's like sitting on a desk. It just looks, his silo looks like one of these fucking uh, storage lockers in these shows, you know, where you buy the storage locker <laughs> sight unseen. I mean, that is basically what he's got going on. He would have been smarter to just rent one of those because at least, uh, well, I don't know. I guess the big advantage is a storage locker doesn't usually look like a giant penis, which is definitely, his his silo is like sort of flesh-colored with a more reddish tip, and it's very penis-shaped. So he lives in his penis place. On uh, Staten Island. So then the vulture comes in and, uh, you know, is holding J. Jonah Jameson at gunpoint. And he's just like, here, give me a bunch of money. Which I think is hilarious. It's like one of those of the time things, right? Where you're like, oh, um, you know, he's robbing he's robbing him. And you're like, only, only in the 60s or the 70s or whatever would you think to rob a newspaper magnate. Like today, can you imagine someone being like, we're going to rob the editor of the New York Times, right? That makes no sense. So then we have our Spider-Man vulture fight. You know, he's like, all right, well, I'm going to just willpower it and go kick his ass. Now, what's interesting is uh, this is definitely a part where Spider-Man, he has something where he actually is saying, like, um, I've got to keep ribbing him. My only chance is to make him so angry he won't notice my injured arm. And this, I think, as we've been reading through, is kind of the origin of the Spider-Man quipping, joking, making fun, like the first sort of uh, explanation of this, which is like, there are these things that are in comics that I think are just in comics, and then they kind of have to retroactively explain it. Like, for example, I would say a famous one, Batman, you know, for a long time, had a yellow circle around his uh, bat symbol on his chest. And then it got to, you know, when we got to the serious dour 90s, and it was like, wait a second, why would he have that on him if he's, uh, you know, trying to be stealthy and trying not to get shot, and he's got a target right over his heart? And so somebody wisely explained it as like, well, he's super armored that area of, and it keeps him keeps people from shooting him in the face, because they're like, "Ah, oh, this is a good target," and you're like, "Okay, I buy it." So there you go. We did that with Spider Man. Like, why is he always narrating out loud what's going on and making these jokes? And it's like, oh, it's to distract his foes. 
Um, so Spider-Man is kind of fighting the Vulture while trying to get uh, Betty Brant and J. Jonah Jameson out of the way. He kind of leapfrogs J. Jonah Jameson at one point and totally grabs a handful of his ass. Like just it, his hand, his palm is right on J. Jonah Jameson's asshole, <laughs> which is great. Um, you know, so they got his strategy. They have one of these fights in this big thing. This is another thing that I wonder if this exists anymore, if it'll go away completely, is like the giant newspaper production room, which is like they're printing the newspaper on these huge reels and all these fucking cogs and machines are flying around. And, uh, of course, for some, I don't understand, I guess, newspaper production, which might be a big surprise. I know that's a shocking revelation. But, like, why did it have to be that big? Newspapers didn't seem that big to me. I don't understand why, like, it's... They had to produce the newspaper in a warehouse the size of, like, a fucking college campus. They're like, this is the only way we could do it. I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason. So, anyway, they have a midair battle. And, uh, basically, you know, Spider-Man defeats the Vulture by webbing him all up, mummifying him in a way. And the Vulture's like, you fucking asshole, we're both gonna die. But then Spidey makes a uh, nice web parachute, and they slowly make their way to the ground. And uh, he webs up J. Jonah Jameson's face, which he does all the time to people, various criminals and whatnot. And I'm always like, oh, that would be a nightmare with my uh, fucking deviated septum. I'd be like dying trying to get this web off me because I can hardly breathe. And uh, so then we have, you know, Peter Parker changes back into his clothes, victorious. And uh, he says, the worst thing about being Spider-Man is changing clothes a zillion times a day. Which you're like, oh, that's the worst thing about being Spider-Man? That doesn't seem so bad, changing clothes. I mean, that's also the worst thing about, like, going to the gymnasium or spilling a drink on yourself. So considering the exchange there, I feel like, I feel like it's all right. I do, I do have to say I respect these superheroes for, like, so there's, uh, sometimes I change my clothes in the car before going to the gymnasium because you can't use the locker room there for the reason that there's a pool at this gymnasium, which means that there are, like, 500 kids in the locker room screaming and smashing Cheetos into the floor, and the entire, every surface in there is soaking wet because they come out of the pool and then they're changing clothes in there. So it's like unusable for an adult who's like, oh, I just wanted to change into gym clothes. You know what I mean? And they also have this fucking thing that like dries off the swimsuits. It's like a centrifuge thing that uh, spins the water out of them. And it is so goddamn loud in this all concrete bunker. It sounds like it's propane powered or something. And you know, I, it's crazy. So anyway... Uh, Betty Brant and Peter Parker have a little uh, office romance thing going on. You know, they kind of seem to like each other just a little bit, which is kind of nice. Uh, Peter Parker, sometimes I get the feeling that you're laughing at a secret little joke that's all your own. Ha ha ha. And he puts his arm around her and they're sitting there and uh, he calls her baby. So there you go. Maybe a little, little bit of a romance headed Spidey's way with good old Betty Brant. And that's the end of issue seven. Now, we did have a couple pretty good letters. 
So let's check this out. Dear Stan and Steve, I think Peter Parker should have a girlfriend who sticks up for him when he's being bullied. And I don't mean some chick who's homely, wears specs and a sack dress with black and white saddle shoes, or is as science-minded as he is. I mean a doll with a good figure, get up and go, who digs jazz and rock and roll. You follow me? <laughs> and uh, their answer is, no, Sydney, but we'd sure follow her. And uh, so this is, again, like, I, I always wondered about, you know, are these letters planted? Or is this, um, you know, to get people kind of ready for what's coming? Or are the letter writers genuinely influencing? Because that sounds, sure sounds like a Mary Jane to me. But there you go. Dear Stan and Steve, I just got issue number four of Amazing... <laughs> Do you like how when I'm reading these, I can't help but, like, my voice almost cracked right then. It's just like... When I'm reading a letter to Spider-Man, it's just, boom. I just got issue number four of The Amazing Spider-Man, and it is to the greatest of all Spider-Man issues. Sandman is the best villain he has ever fought. I think the word amazing should be left on the title of the comic, for I think it is part of the title, and Spider-Man is amazing. I would like to see Spider-Man talking with the spiders like the Ant-Man does with ants and the wasp does with wasps. From Larry. Um, and their answer is, and we suppose you'd like to see Iron Man talking with pieces of iron? Oh, well, as usual, we'll wait for the comments from our fans out there in Magland. Yeah, I mean, this is like a thing. It doesn't seem necessary, right? They always did. They always try to do this with superheroes, and it doesn't seem to work that well to me. Like, um, Aquaman can talk to sea creatures, and you're like, eh, and Ant-Man can talk to ants, and you're like, eh. You know, you you go watch Civil War and you're like, yeah, I guess he can control ants, but that seems to be the least exciting part of what he's able to do. So kind of glad. I don't think they really ever went that way, and I think that's probably for the best, <laughs> that they're not like, ooh, he could control spiders. Um, Let's see. And then they had a spider scratching, so they had a ton of letters and they just summed them up. You know, they would put like one line from each letter or something like that. So uh, you ought to have Spider-Man in the Army or Navy helping them. Good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. He could do a lot in the Navy, just being on a boat. I had an old roommate in the Navy, and he spent a lot of time changing light bulbs. So I guess Spider-Man would be super good at that because he could get up on the ceiling and shit. Your July issue of Spider-Man was so good that I had to write or explode. The FF will be sorry they turned down Spider-Man when he wanted to join up. That's true. Dr. Octopus has just got to make a comeback. Mm, I think you might get what you want, Leonard. Keep the public wary of Spider-Man and keep him a loner, Danny says. I think Spider-Man should have a super partner to help him out even if he doesn't need help, says Robert. Yeah, where is Spider-Man's sidekick? He's never really had a long-term sidekick, which I think is a, a good thing. I think that sometimes, uh, especially, this seemed like a big DC thing that they were like, we're going to give the superheroes a boy sidekick because people can't identify with Batman, but they could imagine being his boy sidekick, right? And you're like, ah, I mean, not, I don't know. Not really. Yeah, boy, you know what I would sure love is to, I can't identify with being Batman, but I could definitely identify with being captured by Batman's enemies and being used as a pawn um, to force Batman into a dangerous situation. That actually does seem likely um we found a clubhouse for our spider-man club and it's full of spiders would you give us a good name for our clubhouse and they say how about the spider mansion that's pretty 
pretty good. I was going to say um, the web shack. Oof. This is why I don't write Spider-Man. Until I ran across your Spider-Man, I would not even go near a comic for fear of somebody ribbing me, but this book opens up an entirely new field in the comic history. Mike. I'd like to see Spider-Man and the Torch come together again. Yes. Very true. Um, There you go. So that's kind of what we have for issue number seven here. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed our our second encounter with the Vulture. Um, And... Tune in next time where we will have big surprises in store for you with issue number eight. Of course, every issue contains big surprises, but issue number eight may be, well, it will definitely be in the top 10 issues we've talked about so far. I can say that with total confidence. All right, guys. See you next time. (laughs) 